We're at Exodus 29:24. Uh, this evening we have been uh, taking a look at the uh, uh, the tabernacle itself, the priest, and the garb of the priest, and now we're looking and we're building up to what is known what is a ordination ceremony. In fact, Moses has given instructions here as to what to do with the with Aaron and the sons of Aaron as far as ordaining them as priests and getting them ready. And part of that is sacrifices that they need to go through and the Lord has told Moses how to do these. Moses is now teaching the next generation how to do the uh, sacrifices. So the instructions we see, you're going to say, it's going to say you and the you is Moses. And that's God talking to Moses saying this is what I want you to do. And so we're going to look at some of the symbolism. It's it's uh, pretty neat as always. When you find the original languages, you get a get a little better picture of what's really going on, what it's really trying to teach. And so um, it's always good to start with prayer before we dig into Bible study anywhere, anytime. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for this day, for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for all your blessings, and we thank you for your test. Father, I pray indeed that you would be with us this evening. Help us to understand this portion of your word, and help us to appreciate uh, the symbolism behind it. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we know from Hebrews 10, and we're thankful to have the New Testament to go with this, that these things are a shadow that are designed to teach us principles. And so that's what we're looking at. They foretold the arrival of the Messiah. And they did it in a beautiful way, in a very intricate way, although it probably not a whole lot of people really understood the depth of this symbolism. But that's fine, because every time they uncovered a new layer, they spotted something different, and that's just like the rest of the Scripture. Every time we go through the Scripture, every time we dig a little bit deeper, we see something all the more beautiful about the way the Lord has indeed put it together. Now, he's telling them back in, uh, uh, let's see, verse 20, I guess. Let's um, You don't have your Bibles open there. But anyway, he says, I'll just read it. In verse 21, take some of the blood that's on the altar, some of the olive oil of the anointing, and lightly sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. So he and his garments will be sanctified, as well as his sons and his sons' garments with him. So here is the installation, here is the first operation of the Levitical priesthood. Because uh, uh, out of the tribe of Levites shall come, Moses is the, the big dog, but Aaron is the high priest in, there in Israel, Aaron and his sons. Now it'll be passed on through the line of Aaron, the high priesthood. That's what it's supposed to be, but it, they didn't always follow that. And that led to many mistakes and, and a lot of discipline for Israel. Now verse 22, you shall also take from the fat, uh, from the, take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the right calf, for it is a ram of ordination. The word ordination is a milieu, is actually the, the word that is used, M-I-double-L-U and an olive at the end of it, milieu. 
And that particular word group is a word that means to fill. So mala is what it comes from, and mala is a word that means to fill. And that's why my corrected translations say, well, for it is a ram of filling. Because ordination is about filling them with the tools that they need in order to be able to serve. That's what ordination is about. And it's basically saying, now you got the tools, use them. We have a similar thing now. Uh, we don't have uh, ordination prescribed for pastors in the church. It's not, you don't find it anywhere in Scripture that you should have an ordained pastor or anything like that. It's not prescribed, but whenever a person has gone through the training, then it has become customary and traditional that there is a recognition of the fact that this individual has been trained and has the tools that they need to be able to do the job properly. Now that's basically what it's saying here with these Levitical priests and he's teaching this while he's teaching them what they need to do but when they learn what they need to do then in a sense they've been filled. Okay, filled with the tools they need to conduct the business that they're supposed to conduct. And he says uh, and one cake of bread uh, this literally is one whole round loaf. Uh, who's the bread that came down out of heaven with living word? We, we know that. And one cake mixed with oil. Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. So when you, when you run into oil in these uh, different passages that deal with symbolism, you're looking at the Holy Spirit. And one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before Yahweh. Where would they get unleavened bread? The twelve loaves they baked to put into the holy place the, on, onto the table of showbread. So they're baking up the bread. He says, all right, take some of this bread. This is what we're going to do with it to get this thing started. Now verse 24 is where we left off. He says, and you shall put, and this is the word uh, sum, S-U-M, and it's, uh, it's not sum, which is, when you see S-U-M there, that's how we would say it. But this ooh is a long, long ooh, so it's a sum, is how it should be uh, pronounced. And it says, uh, and, and the word sum gives, to firmly set something, gives the idea of permanence. Now, hence... What he is saying, you shall put or firmly set, he's saying there's going to be a shift at this moment in time from the family priesthood that has been all the way back to Adam, come all the way down through Noah, Shem, Ham, uh, Japheth, through, through Noah, Shem in particular, and then has been transmitted down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down to Moses. So the family priesthood is now over. Family priesthood has been the order of the day for 2,600 years. Now it's now over. He's saying there is a different priesthood that is taking place right now. So <clears throat> you shall firmly set all these, that's the fat, the kidneys, the, the right thigh, the bread, the unleavened bread, uh, on the palms of Aaron. I think the English said in the hands, in the hands, this is the word for palms. It's interesting because they have the word palm and they have the word hand used in, in this particular context. 
Now, when you put it on the palms, it basically is saying that they're readily receiving it here. Okay, because the palms up, upturned like that indicates a ready reception of, of whatever you're being handed. So they're readily receiving this. Later we're going to see take it out of their hands because once it goes into the palms, they've got to keep it. But it shows a ready, ready reception. And in the palms of his sons, okay, take these things, distribute them out, and shall wave them as a wave offering. This is the Hifil perfect of Nuf, N-U-P-H. Now, Nuf, in the Hifil, Hifil is causative, means to cause to, to, to do something. And it is the, um, that is the wave that you're supposed to do. And then the noun is really kind of weird, <laughs> because the, the noun is... Ta, nu, fa. Ta, nu, fa. And that's the way they make words in Hebrew. They frequently will take the verb, nuf, and then they will expand it and turn it into a noun, something that describes something else. So that's why we have wave them as a wave offering. Ta, nu, fa is a word for wave offering. This is the first use of, uh, it's used in um, uh, 2035 uh, for wielding a tool upon the altar. That's uh, the first first use of the noun form. And the basic meaning is to wave up and down, to agitate. And you kind of get the picture of the agitation as if you're putting it through a sieve. So I come from a line of bricklayers. So I know what a sieve is, <laughs> because they would take mortar, they would take sand, and they would put it through this thing with a little screening in it. And of course, the finer the screen, the better the sand that they got through it, or the better the concrete they got through it, and they would just shake the fire out of it. Two of them would do that in order to leave all the rocks, basically, and throw those things away and get the best stuff. So it's something that says you're looking for the best stuff. If it's, you're putting it through the sieve, you're looking for the best stuff. So <clears throat> this waving was used as part of other offerings to take what you've been given and wave it. Okay, <clears throat> And basically, it was a request for acceptability in front of the Lord. You're taking it and you're doing like this. Saying we're checking it for all the impurities, trying to get all the impurities out of it, and we're asking that this offering be acceptable. So <clears throat> uh, Leviticus 23:11 actually tells us that the part that was waved is the part that went to the priest. So maybe they were going, "Hey, yes, look what I've got," because <laughs> they get some of the best parts of the stuff here, and that's by design. Okay, you shall wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. It's not quite the same word as shake them before Yahweh. It's wave them, but wave them rapidly up and down. Then verse 25, you shall take them from their hands. Okay, they've got hold of it now. It's not the palms anymore because you're going to have to grab it with your hands if you're going to wave it up and down in the air. You can't do it with your palms. So that... You know, this little bit of technical stuff says the Lord knows what he's talking about. 
to me because he's saying we can put it in the palms, but you're going to have to grab hold of it to shake it up and down. Okay, so take it now from their hands. You, Moses, shall take from their hands and offer them up in smoke. Literally, cause a fragrant smoke on the altar on the burnt offering. This is where the burnt offering is done, but it's placed on top of the burnt offering on the altar is what he's trying to say. Take this stuff, place it on there for a soothing aroma before Yahweh. It's an offering by fire to Yahweh. Now, <clears throat> look what happens because what the Lord will do, uh, as in 29:22, what the Lord will do, Moses is the one that's going to give it to him. Moses is a type of Messiah. So what he will do and what Aaron is to do, verse 23, indicate there's a contract. So a Levitical priest becomes a Levitical priest by contract. They're under contract to follow the ordinances that have been handed to them. The waiving of the items denotes acceptance of the terms of the contract. We do other things now. I remember when we used to just do a contract on a handshake, and that's real hard to do anymore. But, you know, I know um, when I was going to college out in Clinton, America, out west of town, out there, there's a bank, Cordell Bank, down there, and they did stuff by handshake. That's the way they did a whole lot of their business. You know, I know a guy that called up one time, I need a car. Well, he said, I don't have any money. <laughs> I don't have a job. I need a car. And they said, and the, the vice president said, well, have you got one in mind? Yeah. How much is it? Yeah. Write him a check. On our it is a counter check, actually, they wrote, write him a check, we'll cover it. You come in here, sign the paperwork, and we'll get you the loan. And that's the way things quite frequently were done. I knew cattlemen that, that uh, out there that had their whole checkbook made out in checks for $100. Had their secretary make them out, all they had to do was sign them. And they bought and sold cattle. That's exactly what they did, and it was all done by handshake that was done and the one thing you didn't want to do was cheat somebody because <laughs> you wouldn't be buying and selling with any of those cattlemen anymore that's how they did business and this wasn't all that long ago probably well it's 50 years ago but it still really wasn't all that it's the way it's the way it was done yeah you make an agreement shake hands on it job's done you get paid that's the way it that's the way it worked now, <clears throat> take them from their hands, offer them up of, of soothing fire. The burn portions denote the acceptability of the contract by the Lord. Okay, the ram will not be totally burned up. And therefore, this is basically a peace offering, denoting reconciliation, because he's going to talk about taking the pieces of the ram off of the altar. So it's going on to where the, the burn offering is going to be totally burned up. Okay, and this is laid on top of it, and they're just going to cook it real good. Okay, that's what's going to happen with these things. Leviticus 3 is where we find out more about this, and this peace offering is uh, what the priest got to eat from. Burn offering, totally burned up, taught the doctrine of propitiation. The second offering, Leviticus 2, 
was called a minka offering. M-I-N-C-H-A-H. Comes from the verb manak, and that's a word that that uh, means to uh, give. It's a it's a grace it's a gift offering is what it is. They some translations put grain offering in there, and uh, okay, but the the root behind the word is that it is a, a gift offering. It, it, that's what it is. First one's a burn offering. Second's a gift offering. Third is a peace offering. The first one taught propitiation. The second one taught by means of the perfect gift. The third one taught what it accomplished, peace between us and God. And so we get to partake of the peace offering. That's what the priest got to partake of, not the burn offering. So <clears throat> the priest will get to eat from this ram. It's here burned along with the burn offering, indicating the priesthood exists. Now, think about this ordination ceremony. The priesthood exists because of the work of Christ, because of the burn offering. And this, this is placed on top, the, the Lamb of God is placed on top of that. There's only reason the priesthood is there is because of the work of Messiah. Now, they should have gotten that. Did they get it with Aaron and the first group of guys? The first two didn't. That's Leviticus 10. Okay, but Eliezer, the number three son, he carried it on. I think Eliezer got a lot of it, but then it, it lost its flavor over the years. And they didn't quite uh, know what it meant. We became positionally acceptable priests to God at the moment of our salvation. Because we're in a different dispensation. Hebrews 7.12 Where there is a change of priesthood. Of necessity there's a change of law. There was a change of priesthood on the day of Pentecost. So with that came a change of law. The Mosaic law was gone. The law of Christ was put in. The law of loving God, loving one another is your primary laws uh, for the church. Now you'll notice that there, uh, at the moment of salvation in the church age, we're all priests to God. But what do priests need? Training. They need to know, if they're going to offer up a sacrifice, they need to know how to offer up the sacrifice properly because there's a set of instructions under the Levitical priesthood that goes with it. We have a set of instructions, too, for our priesthood. Ours is, just like all the other priesthoods, leading in praise, leading in sacrifice, and we're teachers. All of us ought to be teachers. And we do to one degree or another. In verse 26. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination. This is the ram of filling. Again that word they translated ordination means to fill. And it's basically this is the ram that is, that is saying it's time for these guys to start. So we're filling their hands with the necessary uh, equipment. And wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. It shall be your portion to eat. So the breast of the ram here went to Moses to eat. But it's going to go to these other priests. And he says, you take it, Moses, and wave it before the Lord. Okay? Now Moses was a type of Christ, but Moses wasn't Christ. 
And Moses knew that probably as well as anybody. And he said, okay, Moses, you are but a man as well. So, okay, we're going to cover you too in this, in this process. It says, it shall be your portion, and that's your portion to eat. Now, the future offerings are in verse 27. And you shall consecrate. That's our Hebrew word, kadash. Uh, these are words that, that are pretty basic Hebrew words. One of the first ones that you get to learn if you study Hebrew. Q-A-D-A-S-H. Kadash, and it means to sanctify or to make holy. Okay, so he, he's saying you shall sanctify the breast of the wave offering. Okay, the one that he just waved. Set it apart. Um, and the thigh, or literally the calf, um, lower portion of the leg, of the heave offering. Now, the word for heave offering is teruma. T, the short E, R-U-M-A-H, Teruma. And Teruma is a uh, word that looks at uh, uh, the first juice. We see it in chapter 25, verse 2, and it's a very generous grace offering. Okay, that, And I've, I've looked at the word, and I thought, that's the best way to translate this. And it's going to be followed by a verb. Here is teruma. So guess what the verb's going to be? It's going to be rum, R-U-M, not rum. <laughs> it's a rum offering. Boy, what you couldn't do with that. Kind of like the, the rum cake that ladies make it at Christmas time. And they, some of the recipes are, first you start with a good drink. <laughs> then you get the flour out. <laughs> you take another drink. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, g- a great recipe. <laughs> anyway, that's not this. <laughs> this is a hafel. There's not but a handful of hafels all through the Old Testament. And it, it a hafel is a causative passive. Hifel is the causative that says, I caused this to happen. Okay, The hafel says, it was caused to happen to me. It's coming back the other direction. So it is saying... Uh, which was offered or caused to be raised up in grace. And it is, says, from the ram of filling, milieu again, from the one who was, for, who was for Aaron and the one which was for his sons. So sanctify this offering is what he's telling Moses. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as their portion... Forever. Now you can see the words written out. Lakok Olam. This is uh, literally a perpetual statute. Olam is a word for eternity. Coke is a word for statute. And so it has as their portion. It says uh, literally his sons as a perpetual statute from the sons of Israel. So what are the priests going to eat? They're going to eat from the offerings that have been brought 
by the, the Jews to offer up to the Lord. They get to share in it. And that's because of their position. That's because of the, what they're supposed to do. That is because of the, the office that they have been appointed to. And it shall be a grace, not a heave offering. I just, the, the word grace fits that word a lot better. From the sons of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. So the peace offering is the big sacrifice placed upon the burnt offering, which is still a bigger sacrifice. And these are individual pieces that become wave offerings or grace offerings. That's what it is, that's what it is trying to tell us. He says, uh, of their peace offerings, even their grace offerings to Yahweh. Now, Moses waving the breast denotes Christ's humanity, accepting the plan of God. See, it's for acceptability. Did Christ accept the plan of God? Yeah, he did. Father, if it, <laughs> if it be your will, let this pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He accepted what his role was within the plan of God, just like Moses did. And Moses, whenever the Lord first said, go get these people out of Egypt, he said, no. Remember that? He had to talk him into it. And that's, uh, that's what I found to be the case with a lot of pastors. Because if they figure out that's what their gift is, including me, they don't want it. <laughs> They'd rather trade it in. Lord, could I have another one? And he will not let you. I can tell you that he'll chase you the rest of your life if you say if you say no to it at the first advent the jews should have offered him the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world should have offered him the best mark 14 what did they offer him a crown of thorns now <clears throat> what about john 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So they should have recognized who Messiah was. Had they paid attention to the written word. They should have recognized who Messiah was. And should have offered him the best. All the way. And that's not what they did. After the ordination the breast and the calf. Were to go to the priest for living grace provision. Okay, that's what it was supposed to be for. They were taken from the peace offering, denoting appropriation of salvation. Further explain Leviticus 7, verses that go there. So here's the peace offering, here's part of the peace offering, and you priest, you get this. You get a good chunk of meat here. I guess you could say, well, you get the breast, part of the breast, or part of the leg. Okay, if you're looking at chicken the breast or the thigh i mean you're you're getting some pretty good parts of the meat there and he's saying okay priest you got some pretty good food coming in positive volition from believers in israel would motivate them to bring this offering in grace see the first three offerings leviticus 1 to 3 burn offering gift offering peace offering were voluntary and that's in part why it's talking about a grace offering coming out of the peace offering here. They were voluntary. Sin and trespass offering, Leviticus 4 and 5, were mandatory. Those had to be brought. But the other three, you brought those out of your own volition. Okay, And that was to, to, honor, the, to honor the Lord. The future eating of the breast and the calf would denote the authority of the priesthood. They get the good parts of the lamb. 
And notice that the Jews' grace offerings to the Lord were given through his agents and used in their sustenance. That's how they were to be done. They were to go to the priest. Hopefully the priest would be able to teach them something that an innocent sacrifice would have to take their place. And that's part of what what did they do whenever they offered these things? They leaned on them. Remember, they didn't just put their hand on them. They leaned on them. It's a picture of imputation. I'm giving all my sins to this innocent animal who did absolutely nothing. And that's what we that's what we did with Christ. Our sins were imputed to him. So, in verse 29, the ceremony goes on. And it says, And the holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them uh, they may be anointed and ordained. Uh, Literally, it says to be anointed in them and to fill their hand in them. And he says, For seven days the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put them on when he enters the tent of the meeting to minister in the holy place. In other words, Aaron's a high priest, but he's not going to go in every day. One of his sons, he's going to send in one of his sons to do these things in the holy place. So the high priest would come through the line of Aaron. That's, that's the selection. The office ended with death. Hebrews 7 talks about that. Once a priest dies, he is dead. Okay, it's passed on to somebody else. And the seven-day ceremony refers us to the perfection of all God's creation. When you see the words, when you see the number seven pop up, it's just, it's one of those numbers, isn't it? Because you see it on on the seventh day, God rested. How early on did we see this? Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, he rested from all of his works. And then you have a Shabbat, the seventh day of the, the week, Saturday which is also to be a day of rest. And whenever the Sabbath was set up and established in the Ten Commandments, what were you supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Obviously, it's the time to go to a ball game. <laughs> it's the time to go fishing on the lake. It's the time to go do whatever you wanted to do. And then that's the time. That's, that's, that's what it's called for. That's how people came to, um, to do that. But actually, it said so you can reflect on what your Creator has done. Read Exodus 20. Shabbat is a time. Sabbath is a time to think about what God has done. And he said, I want you Jews to take a whole day every week and do just that. But the legalists stepped in. And they started talking about Sabbath day's journeys. And they talked about everything else. And they turned it into a big legalistic a uh, piece of slavery is what they did. The Sabbath was a time to reflect on God and who he was, who he is, and his greatness and what he has done. And instead, well, if you, you can only take so many steps. And I've told this story multiple times. But if you retraced your steps, you could subtract them off. <laughs> was it something I saw on the news 
course, we can see all kinds of crazy stuff on the news. We got these things that count steps. And so if you take 8,000 steps two days a week, it's supposed to make you live longer. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. I thought, what an interesting piece of useless information <coughs> to, to share. Um, and to have uh, spend a whole lot of money on something that will count your steps for you. Oh, okay, if you want to do that, fine. No big deal. But, see, it, wouldn't the Jews have loved that? If, and they would have programmed it, I guarantee you, to subtract them off after they got out to their limit and then they would start retracing and they'd have taught that thing to subtract them off because it was more about legalism and following the law and it was more about dutiful obedience than obedience from the heart and they never seemed to pick pick up that distinction the Lord said sacrifices and burnt offerings I have not desired I want a contrite heart I want a clean heart I want this is what I want I want really an honest relationship uh, with you. I don't want a robot. And so that's what he was that's what he was looking for, but we are a f- stubborn people. Verse 31, you shall take the ram of ordination, literally the ram of the filling and boil its flesh in a holy place. <clears throat> now, Not that this makes a whole lot of difference in our theological understanding. But the word boil in the New American Standard is not the word boil. This is the word basdal. I spelled it out. B-A-S-D-H-A-L. This is the same word that was used in Exodus 12.9 where the Passover lamb was not to be boiled at all. Okay, this had a negative in front of it back then. This is not a word for boil. This is a word that says you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to cook it. It's a simple word for cook. It's not a word for boil. When boil is meant, it has the phrase with water (laughs) added to it. So there is a, a, a distinction here. It just says cook it. And it says its flesh in a holy place, not the holy place. In a holy place. Set aside a place, kadosh, kadosh, set it aside, sanctify it, make it make it different. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram. And the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Okay, where are they supposed to eat this? It's not in the holy place, is it? But it is a special place. Right outside the doorway of the tent of the meeting. Now the cooking is done in the outer court. I don't know if you remember the layout of the tabernacle or not, but we had the holy of holies where the ark was. Then we had the holy place where the the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar of incense were located. Directly outside of that door was the bronze laver and then past that was the bronze altar but the the tent that went around it was called the outer court that was uh, six six foot tall 
linen. We we went through all of that sort of stuff with one entry in, the, in the, all the places. And so they weren't to go inside where the table of showbread was. They're to eat it outside the doorway. So that tells us something. It's got something to do with getting ready for something before they go inside. Okay? Otherwise, they would have gone inside and ate it, and it meant something totally different. It says getting, getting this done. The cooking is done in the outer court. Eating depicts faith, which is the only means of being saved. John 6.53 Oh, if you eat of this bread, you shall live forever. <laughs> and he was speaking of his body being the bread. Here, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. The breast and the calf denote Christ's strength. His breast, his strength, and his service in providing salvation. He was spiritually strong, and he had a sinless service. Because you take part, part of the chest, and you're looking at where strength comes from, and the upper body, and you take, part of the, you take the leg and the feet, and you're looking at service as you, as you get around to do things. The cooking denotes Christ being judged for our sins. So they're reminded before they go in to do the service of the tabernacle. They're reminded before they go in. The only reason they can go in there is the grace of God. And it drives me crazy when I hear commentators that should know better saying that the church age is the age of grace. Like the age of Israel is not. It is the age of law. They say it's the age of law. The church is the age of grace. The only reason there's a Jew left is because of the grace of God. <laughs> Any Jews. Moses messed up. Joshua messed up. They all messed up. The only reason there's any Jew is because of the grace of God. And so <clears throat> here is Christ, and they constantly should have thought about it. Here is an innocent victim being judged for their sins. And they should have approached all of, all of their duties, everything they did, with a great humility anyone can eat portraying unlimited atonement now this was specifically for the priests but the whole concept of eating is to say that anybody can eat if you, can you eat food if you can eat food you can be saved that's an interesting test I hadn't thought about using that given the gospel sometime can you eat food or do you eat food I guess that would be a better deal do you eat food yeah you can be saved because I have had people tell me that their sins were too bad. And that God couldn't save them because of what they'd done. And uh, if, if we ever get to that point, then their argument won't hold up at all. To eat just outside the holy place denotes the means of relationship with God. Salvation. Truth. Bible doctrine. The Holy Spirit, see the wafer with the oil in it, you remember that? Acceptance, the waving. And the assignment, that's our ministry. We've all been given a ministry. We have a ministry in time that God has designed for us. You're out of notes, aren't you? No. Hoorah. What do you got, two more? can't believe I did that. I thought, I'll put these on there. I'll never get there. 
Then I put them on, forgot I did. So anyway, verse 33, <laughs> only for the priest. Thus they shall eat those things by which they shall eat them which atonement was made. This is a actually a pool perfect. By them has been atonement. It's an odd English phrase. The, the PL is the intensive stem. Active PL. Uh, PL is like, you know, <laughs> the cal is you tap somebody. The PL is you punched them. Okay? The PL is you got punched. <laughs> so it's, it's coming, back, coming back your way. Intensive, passive. And he says, atonement was made at their ordination. Literally, it says, to fill their hand. And uh, sanctify them is not in there. But a layman, this is a zur, Z-U-R, first usage of it anywhere. A zur is one that means to turn aside, to recede. It's used in um, chapter 30, verse 9 in Leviticus 10.1 of a strange fire. Leviticus 10.1 is when the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, went out to offer strange fire on the altar. He got it from a place that shouldn't have got it. So he's saying here that a stranger is not permitted to, to do this, and a strange one. Uh, it's This word, interestingly enough, Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests. But they blew it so bad, there was only a specific line that would be priest through it. So it should have told them they've already messed up part of what God had offered to them. Now had they learned from that, maybe they would have been a little more receptive to their Messiah walking around in their midst, doing the things that only God can do. I was getting ready for Sunday today, <clears throat> going through the, we're going to start uh, the resurrection of the Messiah, and we're going to start with the prophecies. And going through the prophecies that 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 were forecast in the Old Testament, prophesied in the Old Testament, and fulfilled in the New Testament, it's phenomenal to even watch how accurate these things were in so many different uh, so many different regards. And <clears throat> the uh, why they didn't accept him is amazing. Now, I could you could almost see well maybe they wouldn't. Until he went to the cross. But then, <clears throat> when the word got out, what he said on the cross, they should have turned to him just like that. They really should have. Because had they been paying attention in Bible class at the synagogues, they would have known there were some things Messiah was going to say. Some things that the Father was going to proclaim from heaven about him. They would have known look at these prophecies and look at Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing that was prophesied in the Old Testament that's a pretty specific statement my God my God why have you forsaken me also prophesied isn't that amazing where you find those things <clears throat> and word gets out about that you'd think they'd have turned to him just that fast realizing their mistakes and they still didn't. Peter gave a message, and only by the grace of God did 3,000 people accept the gospel. 
<clears throat> anyway, Christ's strength, he's the sacrifice, which is the breast, his service, which is the calf, Bible doctrine, which is the, the truth of the word of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the anointing with the oil provided the sacrifice for atonement. That's what it's saying. Christ's work at the first advent secured sustenance for the priest. Ah, they were prophesying of the first advent. And the fact that it was so certain in God's mind is going to happen, he provided for the priest because of it. They were to talk about something that was hadn't happened and wouldn't happen for 1,500 years. And yet he provided for them in the past for, some, uh, for an event that had not even occurred. They should have been ready for it. <clears throat> priest, the Levitical priest even, should have constantly recognized the real source of their living grace. How did the food get put on their tables? By the grace of God. That's the only way that it got there. <clears throat> Those outside the priesthood were not permitted to eat of this sacrifice or the items in the basket, and they illustrate negative volition. Okay? Those were not permitted to do it. Note that because of the office, the priests were expected to be positive. This is some of our old terminology here, positive, negative Bible doctrine. They were expected to be <clears throat> They were expected to be interested in the Word. They were expected to want the Word. They wanted to not just know it, but live it right. This is what was expected of the priest. And it teaches that negative volition cannot partake of salvation, of Bible, of salvation, of Bible doctrine, and hence blessings are withheld. If you don't want to learn anything about the Word of God, if you don't want to accept His Word of grace, you're not going to be saved. And trust in the Messiah. If you don't want to do that, you're not going to be saved. You can't be saved by your works. You can't be saved any other way. There's one door. That then he is the he's the, he is the door. If you don't go through him, you just don't go through. <clears throat> if they don't want to learn the word, see, isn't that what priests are supposed to do? We we become a priest and we're supposed to learn the word and learn how we are supposed to function. But if they don't want to learn the word, they're going to miss the blessings that go with it. Mosaic law was a conditional covenant. Not unconditional. Because to have the blessings of the Mosaic covenant, you had to comply with it. And if you didn't, you got the cursings. <laughs> Blessed are those who... Read the end of Deuteronomy. Cursed are those who. Yeah. The covenant was conditional. As conditional as it, as it gets. Now, <clears throat> the remainder, and if any of the flesh of ordination, this is our word, the filling, any of the flesh of the filling, or any of the bread remains till morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Now, this is a general law of sacrifices. Okay, you eat it. Whenever you, whenever you kill it and you cook it, you eat it all. So hopefully you'll be hungry whenever you do it. Uh, they didn't have refrigeration back then, needless to say. Uh, it's kind of interesting how they didn't need it 
on the sixth day when they gathered a double portion of the manna. They didn't need it for the seventh day, but if they would have gathered a double portion on Sunday, it would have rotted by Monday. Just small little miracles that God puts in there. And it's it's hilarious. The Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. It's hilarious to watch people try and explain those from a physical perspective. How did this happen? That every six days, there was twice as much manna to pick. They gathered it all up, and it's worked, it took care of them for two days. But if they picked it up on a Tuesday and tried to keep it over, it wouldn't work. wouldn't work. For 40 years. <laughs> this wasn't just an aberration. Uh, something happened over a couple of week times. It was 40 years. How about their clothing? Their clothing lasted 40 years. Now, I've honestly got a suit older than that. <laughs> but I didn't wear it every day <laughs> either. But here is uh, uh, their clothing lasted all that length of time. Can you imagine when they went into the land of Canaan and somebody goes, I guess we're going to have to get new clothes now. <laughs> to make some. Well, that started the garment industry up, I'm sure, and started it up real fast. This portrays unleavened, un, unleavened atonement in that through Jesus Christ, though Jesus Christ was judged for all, not all partake. That should be read unlimited atonement, not unleavened atonement. Atonement is unleavened, but this is unlimited atonement. It also teaches the transitory nature of man. Okay? That give us this day our daily bread so you better get it while you can better get it while you can 2 Thessalonians 3.10 actually says he who does not desire to work let him not eat so they expected everybody to do what they could but the key there was who does not desire to work okay, if you don't, <laughs> a lot of people don't desire to get up and go to work but they get up and go to work and as a result they eat but some people just think that they're owed everything well, that might help with some of the uh, welfare issues. Get it where you can. That's what we're taught to do. Now you're out of notes. Now you're out of notes. Still got five minutes. Questions? Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the millennial kingdom will start with human beings like you and I. It'll start with Jews that are all everybody's a believer. Now, the millennial priesthood is going to have its own Levitical line, if you will. After the line, after the Zadok, Zadokite line of the priesthood, Ezekiel 40 to 48. So it'll be a specialized priesthood. So it won't be really an entire world of priests at that point in time, because it's going to be it's going to be um, uh, Israel. It's going to be Christocentric. 
everything centered on Christ, but it's also going to be Israel-centric because you're going to have a temple there in Jerusalem, the Millennial Temple, and everybody's supposed to come up to it. So it's uh, we'll we'll see. There's there's not there's a lot of information about the millennium, but there's still not that much information about what it's really going to be like in the millennial kingdom. We uh, but see the Lord shuts up vision and prophet. And he did with Revelation. He can also open it up anytime he wants. <laughs> and so when it happens, Joel 2, about your old men will dream dreams, see visions, and all this stuff, has been viewed by most to be a millennial passage. So will prophecy be once again opened up in the millennial kingdom? It indicates that it will. So exactly what's going to happen? How are we going to have... Human beings like us, not like us. Now we're going to have people in resurrection body like us. And what's the interaction going to be with the, what are called the earth dwellers? Those people that, that are human beings just like us with sin natures that survive the tribulation and start off the, the millennial kingdom. What's the interaction going to be? We're, called, we're told we'll be, some will be rulers. Okay, well, we, who will we be ruling? Who, where, what? I know some pastors think they're going to have major metropolitan areas to rule over. <laughs> Other pastors would be happy if they got to live in a village. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's kind of like the preacher and the cab driver, which I've told that joke way too many times. Huh? When do they stop sacrificing? 70 A.D. Yeah, 70 A.D. They went right up to there. They start stop before that, but that would pretty well that'd be the end of it. John. Long lives. Yeah. It's the. Um, Longevity will be restored, and I can't give you an exact verse, but is my best of my recollection, it's in the Isaiah 60 to 66 passage somewhere in there. Okay, that's the the I, my file system's not working on that right now. So. Law. Hebrews 7.12. Hebrews 7.12. Anything else? It's been fun. <coughs> Father, thank you again for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your amazing word. We thank you for the detail that is found in it. Father, we thank you for what it uh, portrays. And Father, we thank you that the reality literally came. And one of these days, he's going to come back and defeat all of his enemies. We're looking forward to that. Father, I pray that we will live a life that's honoring to you during this time before the trumpet blows and we are all called home. We look forward to that time. In Jesus' name, amen.